Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. You're listening to The Jewish Truth Bomb with Lenny Goldberg. Hey everybody, this is Lenny Goldberg. I'm going to drop some Purim Truth Bombs today for you. Holiday of Purim is here. And Purim is one of those special holidays. Everybody loves it. Not too many laws. And laws we have are fun laws. Meshloch Manot, a fun meal with drinking. And you can ask the question, what makes the Purim story so special that it deserves its own holiday? I mean, isn't Purim a classic exile saga? What's the classic story you read in Jewish storybooks? Well, the Jews were somewhere in the exile in Sephardi countries and Ashkenazi countries. And some wicked king arose and for one reason or another, he decided to kill the Jews or do something harsh to the Jews. A lot of times he was incited by some Jew hater in his cabinet or a clergyman. And the king lays down some evil decree against the Jews in his kingdom. And the Jews get wind of it. And they start doing whatever they can do to annul the decree. Maybe they'll send a tzaddik to the king to try to cancel the decree. They'll daven, they'll pray, they'll fast. They'll do some kind of lobbying, shadlanut as they say. Maybe they have a connection close to the king who can influence him to cancel the evil edict. That's your typical story if you read children's storybooks or adult books, especially the Hasidic stories about life in the old country. Now, isn't that basically what's going on in Purim? The big, wicked Gentile man lays down a decree on us, and at the last minute, through prayer and fasting and lobbying by those close to him, we're saved from the evil decree. So what makes Purim different? So what makes Purim different is this. On Purim, we weren't just saved. But we took vengeance on our enemies. We went on the offense. That does not happen in your typical Hasidish story. The most that can ever happen usually is we don't get killed. That's the best we can achieve in the Gullahs. And if Purim was just about being saved from the decree, and that's it, it wouldn't have been registered as a holiday. It's only a holiday because we did to them what they wanted to do to us. That's what makes it different. And it's not just that we took vengeance, but we doubled down on it. What does it say in the verses? Lashmid, la rogue, la bed, et kol chel amatzarimotam. They slaughtered every armed force of those who threatened them. Taf, nashim, shalalam lavuz, along with their children, the women, and to plunder their possessions. Wow, who knew that Jews did stuff like that? What extremists? But Esther's not done. She doubles down. The king asks her, What else would you like? Now, what would Esther ask for? She's the queen. She's got it all. What does she want? She wants another day of vengeance. That's what it says in the verse. If the king is feeling good, let the Jews of Shushan do tomorrow. Let him do what they did today. And let's hang Haman's 10 sons from the tree. So that's what Esther requests. Hanging those 10 sons on a high tree. And by the way, I'm sure that at least one of these 10 of Haman's sons was just a cute little boy. And then going out and killing another 70,000 anti-Semites. Is Esther Kitsoni? Is she an extremist? Maybe she's a hilltop youth. Where's the Jewish heart? Where's the pity? Where's the mercy? No, no. Esther knows there's a time for this and a time for that. There's a concept of mercy and there's the concept of the mercy of fools. Esther didn't say, no, we're better than them. We don't sink to their level. That's not what Queen Esther said. She didn't say, let's drop leaflets and warn them. So no, Purim is not your typical exile story that you read about in the books. What makes it special 
is that we wiped out the enemy. And that's kind of a rarity in the exile. Usually you don't get that. The most you can hope for is not to get killed. Another important concept we gleam from the Purim story, something that Rabbi Kahana taught us, after the decree went forth to slay and exterminate all the Jews, young and old, man and woman, in one day, it's just like this. Copies of the edict were distributed in every province to all the people for them to prepare for that day. The edict was distributed in Shushan, the capital. The king and Haman sat out to drink, you know, like good Goyim, they had some whiskey. But the city of Shushan was Navocha. The Jews of Shushan were bewildered. Navocha means confused or bewildered. Now, what kind of reaction is that? If one finds out that there's a decree against him to wipe him out, to wipe out his family, to wipe out the Jewish people, the reaction should be fear, trembling, panic. What is this Navocha? Navocha means confusion. A Mavoch is a maze. Why would they be confused, bewildered? What kind of reaction is Navocha? I'll tell you what kind of reaction it is. The Jewish people thought they were Persians. They had assimilated nicely into Persian society. They went to Ahasuerus' banquet with no problem. They might have practiced the Jewish religion, but basically they were Persians. They had deluded themselves to think that it's okay here in the exile. We're like everybody else. We're treated like everybody else. We got equal rights, etc. And all of a sudden, their world crumbles. There's an edict to wipe them all out. So the first reaction is, how can this possibly be? I'm a Persian. I'm a patriot. That's Navocha. Now, the next verse following the verse that says, that the city of Shushan was bewildered, the very next verse, even though it starts a new chapter, it says, and Mordechai knew. Yeah, Mordechai knew. He wasn't bewildered. There was no Navocha for him. He had no illusions of what can happen in the exile. He knew exactly what the Gentile was capable of. And so it says, in contrast, to the rest of the Jews in Shushan, who were in Navocha. Now, this is the scenario in each and every exile the Jews were ever in. I mean, look at American Jewry, who loves Israel. I'm talking about the good Zionist American Jew who thinks that you can love both and the interests of American Israel will always be aligned and can have your cake and eat it too. You can give a bracha for America, a bracha for Israel, talk about the warm relationship between America and Israel and the strong roots and ties and the connection between those two countries. But that's not written in stone. And what happens when things turn around? And maybe it's not to America's interest to back Israel. What are the Jews going to feel then? They're going to feel Navocha. And when the anti-Semites in America say the Jews have due loyalty, there's something to that. I mean, let's put it this way. If America and Israel clash, you're going to have to choose. What side are you on? That's what happened when Jonathan Pollard was arrested. The Jews were in Navocha. Bewilderment. Here's an American who put Israel's interests ahead of American interests. So what's the Jew going to do now? Pollard was helping Israel, but he was betraying America. So whose side do you want? If you're against Pollard, then you're not interested in helping Israel with the secrets that Pollard revealed. Then you're not interested in Israel's survival. And if you're for Pollard, well, you're anti-American. That is the whole Pollard episode brought all this out and the Jews didn't know what to do. Most of them just panicked and denounced Jonathan Pollard. What else they were going to do? They're embarrassed at what happened. By the way, Navocha in modern Hebrew, to say that you're Navoch means you're embarrassed. So that's the perfect translation. The Jews were embarrassed. They were Navocha with the Pollard episode because now they had to decide which side they're on. 
And most of them chose the American side. So Purim teaches us that as much as you want to run away from your destiny and try to hide in the exile and think that maybe I've made it now, eventually the exile will implode like every other one before it did. You know, when we think of Purim, we think a lot about the subject of Amalek. Haman, the villain of Purim, was an Amalekite. On the Shabbat before Purim, Parshat Zachor, we read from the portion of the prophets where King Saul fails to kill Agag, the king of Amalek. And that connects to Purim because Haman is descended from Agag. Anyway, the concept of wiping out Amalek, man, woman, child, donkey, it's a pretty prominent part of Judaism. We have a special Shabbat just to remind us of the commandment. Hey, I thought Judaism was all about being nice. That's what most people think. Judaism is about being a good person, merciful and benevolent. And then you have this Amalek thing. We have to be cruel. You do have to be cruel to kill Amalekian babies, don't you? And Amalekian babies are probably kind of cute. They're from Esau. They got blue eyes and curly hair. But you got to kill them. And if you don't, you didn't fulfill the mitzvah. So maybe Judaism is something else than what we think it is. What Judaism is really about, it's about accepting the yoke of heaven, ol machut shamayim. And part of that is being capable of being cruel when it's called for. As King Solomon says in Kohelet, there's a time to hate, time to love, time for peace, a time for war. Judaism is all about knowing when to do what. It's knowing when you have to flip the attribute of mercy when necessary and be cruel. Judaism means you adhere to the midot of Hashem. It means you can break your attribute of being nice at the proper time, of course, and being mean when you have to. And only then, when you could do that, then you can be considered an Oved Hashem, a servant of Hashem, that you accepted the yoke of heaven. A yoke isn't always pleasant. Sometimes you have to go against your grain. So if you can't hate Haman the way you love Mordechai, if you can't do that, if you can't hate at the proper time, then you're just a nice guy. You were born nice, but that has nothing to do with Hashem. And I say this all because I know the rabbis around here from the national religious camp, the Zionist camp, and they'll be very quick to condemn Jews who hurt so-called innocent Arabs. They'll condemn the Jewish youth who rampaged through the Arab village of Khawara after those two Jewish brothers were killed last week. The rabbis across the board are going to condemn these kids because they have a problem of knowing how to hate. Forget about whether the Arabs are on a lake or not. You can make a strong case that they are on a lake. But what I'm saying is, even if it was known that the Arabs today are on a lake and should all be wiped out, these rabbis would be against it. They couldn't stomach it because they're nice. I know them. They're really sweet, adin nefesh, gentle souls. The problem is they can't flip those midot. They can't flip that attribute when they should. They're not capable of it. They would never be capable of killing an Amalekian baby. It's just not in them. Because when you talk about the national religious camp, you're talking about people whose entire motto is Ahavat Chinam, free love, Ahavat Chinam. That's their Torah. When Ahavat Chinam is your thing, it's hard to hate, even when you're supposed to. So what they should do is they should learn from Shmuel and Navi, the prophet Samuel. After King Saul failed to kill Agag, the king of Amalek, Shmuel the prophet approached Agag. And Agag says, Sar Maramavet, the bitterness of death has been removed. What did he mean? According to the Ralbag, 
He meant that the bitterness of death is removed. I'm not going to get killed. Because he saw Shmuel. He looked like such a tzaddik. He was glowing. His beautiful beard adorning his face. And he said, Samar Amavet, death has been removed. I'm not going to die. This guy's not going to kill me. He's another friar like Saul is. But no, Shmuel steps up to Agag, takes his sword and cuts him into pieces. Because Shmuel, with all his righteousness and his adinut, his humility and his gentle soul, he can turn it on when he has to. He's able to kill when he has to. He knows how to hate when he has to. Because if you can't hate, then you can't love. And that's the deeper meaning of what it says on Purim, that a Jew has to drink so much that he can't tell the difference between cursed is Aman and blessed is Mordechai. What does that mean you can't tell the difference? You're supposed to get so drunk that you can't distinguish between Haman and Mordechai? No, but you can't tell the difference between loving the Tzaddik and hating the Russia and hating the wicked because there is no difference. Hating the evil and loving the good is Hainuach. It's one and the same. There's a symmetry here. So that's why you have to drink a little on Purim to get that way. You got to get a little buzz. You got to lose your inhibitions. You got to lose that part of you that says, ah, it's not nice. I don't know how to hate. I can't kill Amalek. No, you lose your inhibitions when you drink, right? And you return to what you should be. You return to yourself. And you hate the evil just like you love the good. If we're going to talk about Amalek, are the Arabs considered Amalek? Do they step into their biblical shoes? Well, Rabbi Soloveitchik has a book called Ishamuna, and he learns out from the words of the Rambam that Amalek isn't only some nation that was. It's a concept that anyone who wants to wipe out Israel is considered Amalek. Now think about it. What makes Amalek eternally cursed? The sages teach that when all the nations were gripped with fear after the Jews made that exodus from Egypt, all the miracles, the splitting of the sea, Nobody would dare touch us. And then Amalek comes along. They attack us from the rear. And even though we defeated them, we lost some of our intimidation factor. The very fact that they were willing to go against us. We lost a little of our aura. And the sages say that Amalek is like someone who jumps into a boiling bathtub. He might get scorched, but he cools it off for the others. He's willing to burn just to kill a Jew. Just like the Arab is willing to blow himself up to kill a Jew. But how does the Arab really remind us of Amalek? Well, Amalek is the ultimate example of collective punishment. You got to wipe out everybody. Look at the Arab population. Did you ever see such a nation, everyone, man, women, and child, mobilized to slaughter the Jews, giving out candies and celebrating after a Jew was murdered? Men, women, and children, all of them, they're mobilized in their fight to kill us. Yeah, that sure sounds like Amalek. And let's say the Arabs aren't Amalek. Let's say they're just another enemy in the land of Israel. Let's say they're the seven nations, like Rabbi Kahana says. The fact is, whether they're just a regular oppressor, oppressing us in the land of Israel, in a Mohammed mitzvah, or whether they're Amalek, or whether they enter the category of the Canaanite nations because they say we're thieves, either way, they're chayav mita, they, they deserve to die or to be expelled. Either way, according to Allah. So what we have to do is just get rid of them. And then we'll decide what mitzvah we fulfilled. Was it wiping out Amalek? Was it the seven nations? Or was it just a regular Muhammad mitzvah? But let's just at least come to grasp with the kind of enemy that we're dealing with. Besides the Arab Amalekian enemy, I got to look at another enemy on Sunday. 
I saw Erev Rav. What's the story? Well, Sunday is the day before Tanita Esther, and all the kids go to school with their costumes. Anyway, I have a business of inflatables, bouncy houses, and moonwalks. And so Sunday was the big day of the year because all the schools and the villages and the settlements, they all have these big parties, and a lot of them order inflatables. So the settlement of Harabracha ordered a whole bunch of them. I had to do a job there. The job's on Sunday, but I left on Friday before Shabbat to leave the inflatables there because I had to be in a whole bunch of different places. And to get to Harabracha, you have to go through the Arab village of Chawara. You know, that's the village where they killed those two Jewish brothers. And the settlers then went on a rampage, made the news. So I leave my settlement of Tapuach. I go down to Tzomet Tapuach, to the junction, on the way to Chawara. And then I see something I never see in Tapuach. These leftists from Tel Aviv who came to show solidarity with the Arabs of Chawara. I mean, you should see these freaks, these old grandmas and these mutants marching with the Arabs, holding PLO flags and solidarity. I mean, it's pathetic. I mean, that's the Arab Rav. They are clearly siding with the enemy. They make no bones about it. They don't care about the Jews who were murdered. They're marching with those Arabs and they're upset about the damage that was done by those settlers. But let me tell you something else I saw. I saw a ton of press, a lot of these guys with press on their shoulders, journalists with their cameras. And what are they taking pictures of? They're taking pictures of the damage the settlers did to Khawara. Now, most of the damage was the burning of cars. You know what cars we're talking about? You see, all over Khawara, you got these big car lots of broken down jalopies that are used for parts. These car lots, they're just giant junkyards. These were the cars that were burned. And you know whose cars they are? They're cars of Jews, cars that were stolen from inside Israel, inside the so-called Green Line, and they were brought to Hawara for parts. These are stolen Jewish cars. That's like 80% of the damage, and that's what the press is clicking their cameras to catch so they can trash the settlers in their filthy newsrooms. Now, what's most upsetting to me is that six settlers have already been arrested on administrative detention. There's more coming. But don't ever get upset about the press making the settlers into maniacs and madmen. That's probably the best thing that can happen. Because today, the army has absolutely no deterrent. The Arabs are not afraid of the IDF. The IDF has been emasculated, but they are afraid of the settlers. I mean, Khawara was a ghost town when I went through it on Friday, except for the press, the Arab Rav Tel Aviv freaks, and the Arabs, who wouldn't have demonstrated in the first place if it wasn't for the leftists who came to protest. So I got a good look at Arab Rav. I'm a lake. Yeah, I'm getting ready for Purim, bro. I hope your Purim is awesome. And if Purim's over for you, I hope your Purim was awesome. Don't forget, if you want to listen to more of me, you can tune into Lenny Goldberg's Bible classes. The Bible, the most basic book around the foundation of Judaism. It's been neglected. It's been left on the shelf for the Baptists to read. We Jews got to start reading that Bible. So study Bible with me with authentic Jewish commentary, a lot of commentary by the great Rabbi Meir Kahana, sheds light on all these stories you might have heard of. But in my Bible class, I put some meat on those bones. So tune in and I'll see you next week. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel. 
plus little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. If you're hearing this message, everyone else can too. Advertise with Israel News Talk Radio and get your message out to people. We'll build a personalized package for you. Contact advertising at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Straight talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Hey, this is Jake in Anchorage, Alaska, and I love listening to all the super interesting interviews and up-to-date information on what's happening in Israel. Hello, this is Anna King, originally from London, now living in Israel. And what can I say? Israel News Talk Radio is my cup of tea. My name is Bhaskar. I'm from India, and I love listening because you get to know the truth and wonderful voices from this lovely country. Mom! Okay, wait a minute. Hi, this is Chava Dachs, and I'm calling for the rolling hills of Malaya Dumim, just north of Jerusalem. I always listen to Israel News Talk Radio to get all the latest news and commentary and to keep me up to date every day. This is Sarah Dachs from Malaya Dumim, and I'm 12. I wish Israel News Talk Radio was boring so my mom wouldn't listen to it all the time. Mom! You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. 